0: For the first time, or maybe the first time in a while, either online or in the room, uh, we're in the middle of a series called By Faith, and we're looking at the uh, chapter of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a very incredible, powerful, eye-opening chapter, and uh, we spend the last three weeks just diving through what is faith, what does faith look like, and then also we see in Hebrews chapter 11 that there's about 16 different examples of faith. And so we're just kind of picking those apart each week, And we talked about Cain and Abel last week. You get to jump online and and catch those. And then today we're in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. If you have your Bibles, we're going to put it on the screens for you. But also Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 as well. Um, I see you guys in the front row. I love this. This is what I'm talking about. Um, Genesis chapter 6 as well, if you have your Bibles. Uh, But I'm going to pray for us and just ask God to speak to our hearts here this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Uh, Thank you for each and every soul that is here. God, I I believe wholeheartedly, God, that each and every person who can hear the sound of my voice is here on purpose and for purpose. God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that I will decrease so that you may increase. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move and work and give us guidance and direction. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the verses that we're talking about today, the theme that kept coming up in my mind uh, that we're going to see and you'll see why here in just a little bit is, uh, have you ever been to places and you've ended up once you got there, you thought things were going to happen and then all of a sudden you were in a season of waiting? You ever been somewhere like that? Um, I think about the doctor's office. No, like not coming after any doctors, but you set an appointment, you show up, you're going to wait for at least like 30 minutes, right? Like uh, you're just going to have, that's why they have the waiting room and different areas that you're going to wait and just kind of figure out what's going to happen. I'm in a season we had, um, I'm not going to blame any of my four kids, but we had a flooding that happened upstairs in our house. And uh, it's an insurance thing. And I don't know if you have ever waited on the insurance before, uh, but we have been waiting for three months now. So, you know, just this waiting and the great and unsettling thing about waiting is um, it's maybe harder than a no. I don't know about you, but sometimes the wait, you're like, just give me a yes or give me a no and I'll deal with it and just keep moving forward. Right. But then if you get a waiting, it's like, oh, Then, you know, you still have this maybe hopeful expectation, but yet you're like, I'm not sure. And then it brings questions. Am I even on the right track? Am I doing the right thing? And it just causes all of this to begin to happen in this season of waiting, And I feel like a lot of times in scripture, we see people, especially the people who are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, some of the years that they're at work with God, some of the years that they are waiting on God is incredible. And I think that's why some of these people have made it into this chapter because of the faith that they had, even in the seasons of waiting. And one of those guys that we're going to look at today is uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. We're going to read this. And this is one of the eye opening stories. If you grew up in church, maybe grew up in Sunday school or children's church, you maybe have heard this story before, but maybe you've heard kind of the kids' ministry version of it right uh, where we paint on the walls the rainbows and the the animals kind of happily skip into the ark and all of these different things right but we're going to unpack everything that happens here in this story and really glean some principles of what this does this look like for you and I to live by faith so Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 it says this by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark ...for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith... We get a picture here where Hebrews 11 says faith is the conviction. It's the the feeling that we have in Christ of placing our faith in him of the unseen. Right. And so it starts as a conviction. The word of God gives us what his word says and what he has done that his promises ran true. And when we place our faith in him, we live by faith. And then it goes on to list examples and it goes, hey, this is what it looks like by faith. And we get all of these lists. And so in this one it says by faith, there was this man named Noah and we're going to read the story here in a few moments. And this man named Noah received a warning from God, and out of reverent fear of the Lord began to construct an ark. And when he did this, he brought condemnation on the world, but yet he brought righteousness for his family. And so there's a lot to unpack there. But I think for to realize really what this means and what this looks like, we have to go to the original story. And if we look back in Genesis chapter six, we see Genesis chapter six through nine, this story of Noah begins to unfold. Fold here a little bit. We're just going to read a portion of this. And so if you read the beginning of Genesis chapter 6 you begin to read at what the world has turned into. We see that God created the world. He created human beings. And then human beings kind of went running a rampant away from God, turning from God. In fact, the beginning of Genesis chapter 6 describes the scene of just constant violence, constant uh, this uh, dedication to sexual immorality and all of these different pieces and so much wickedness that the Bible even says that the, the human race, Race even had the intent of constant evil. So, not only were their actions evil, but it says their hearts and their minds had this, this constant intent and lean to do what was evil, do what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And then we get to Genesis chapter 6, and we see that God is, is looking over the earth and he finds a man and his family. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 14. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. I love that because we also saw that with Enoch, right? We talked about Enoch a few weeks ago in the Old Testament. Those are only two that are labeled walked with God after Adam and Eve. We see that walked with God. Um, And then it says, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh, he's talking about humankind here in this. Context. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make the end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the ark. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. We see this instruction from the Lord. Right. We see in Genesis chapter six, the Lord looks and he says the human race has just gotten so wicked so far, so far removed from my sight. I'm going to have to almost start over. Right. But he says there's one man. His name is Noah and he is he's a righteous man. Right. In his heart. He is right. Right. He's doing what he wants to do, what is right. And then it says he is blameless. His actions were doing what was right. Right. And we see the contradiction of that. It says the rest of the human race that were living at the time, they had the intent to do what is evil and they did what was evil. Right. But Noah, even in all of that evil, even in all of that chaos, he stood and said, you know what? I want to walk with God. I want to live a blameless and righteous life before the Lord. Could you imagine the scene that the world is at this kind of state that God even makes the comment? I regret even making all of these people, right? Because they've turned so far away from God, and we see this, but then Noah, right? this one man says that I want to live righteously. I want to live for the Lord and God reaches down and speaks to Noah and he says I want you to make an ark yeah, I want you to go and make an ark out of gopher wood. And then he begins to lay out the plans for this ark. I don't know if you've seen the ark. I think it's in Kentucky. It's pretty spectacular. I haven't been there yet, but it looks amazing if you've seen some pictures of it. But he gives him this instruction. And it's this instruction to build a boat that is about four stories high and about one and a half football fields long. Right. And, he, and he, de- he begins to map out what this looks like. But here's the thing about the ark. And here's what is so fascinating to me is that Noah receives this calling from the Lord, Hebrews 11 chapter 7 says a warning from the Lord that it's going to rain and it's going to rain so much that it's going to cover a flood over the entire earth. And up until this point, many people believe it has never rained on the earth yet. If you read early in Genesis, like Genesis chapter 2 and 3, it says the dew comes from the ground and it gives water to the plants. And so Noah hasn't even seen rain before, but yet God says, I'm going to send rain, send so much rain, it's going to flood the entire earth, right? And then he says, I want you to construct this giant boat, four story size, one and a half football fields long in the middle of a desert, right? Like you're, you're miles away from any kind of ocean, any kind of body of water that this is going to fit. And I want you to build this out of gopher wood. And get this, this is where it gets even spectacular. I was doing my study here. It took Noah anywhere from 75 to 120 years to build this ark can you imagine like uh, 75 to 125 years Noah goes okay God gave me this warning this command it has never rained before but God said it's gonna rain right and then he goes out into the woods and he starts chopping down gopher wood and building can you imagine that conversation with your wife he has a wife and three boys and he's like hey guys listen up listen up God gave me this warning it's gonna rain OK, and they're like, what's rain? Right. And end, I explain all this. It's going to rain. It's going to rain so much. It's going to flood the earth. We're the only one. God says that I, I, I've been following him and because I've been following him. He's going to save us. And if I build this boat, uh, we're going to survive. And all these animals are going to come and they're going to get on the boat. And we're just going to kind of give this huge reset that God is going to do upon the earth. And can you just imagine the conversation, the faith that it had to take? And then not only that, I mean, I'm talking about maybe six months. You're chopping trees down. And then six months, you're like, "Whoo, this is a long time, right? A year goes by, you're like, "Whoo, I am so tired of chopping gopher wood. I don't want to see another piece of gopher wood, right? And then 10 years goes by. And then your your sons are growing up and they're looking at you like, dad, you are crazy. What are you doing? It's not even raining. Everybody around you is not living for God. And they're going, oh, here that crazy man is out in the desert building this ark. He thinks it's going to rain. He's telling everybody it's going to rain. He's got one message to everybody. It's going to rain and I'm building an ark, right? And you have received this warning from God. And can you imagine 75 years of working on this boat off a conviction that the Lord gave you. And I think about myself, right? And, and I really feel this, I think, for me as an individual. I think we all can feel it in different seasons and moments of our life. And, but the two areas I really feel this in is parenting and in leadership. Right. Like, I really feel this tension because I remember there, there were times during COVID. Right. of going, God, did you really call us to plant a church? Right. Like, like, did you like oh, nothing is moving? Nothing is moving forward and uh, we're not seeing any results, but yet we're moving off the conviction that you planted inside of our heart. Right. Like, I'm not seeing what you what you've called us to do. It's not raining yet. Right. And you're walking in this and I can even think about it as a parent. Right. You're investing so much into these people, or maybe you're discipling somebody. You've been in bridge serving in bridge kids, and you're like, These kids are not listening to me, right? Like all these things, you're just investing and investing and investing so much, but yet they're either turning from the Lord or they're going wayward or they're having other questions and they're acting this way or they're doing a lot of this, right? And you're just like, I've been doing this for twenty years with them, I've been doing this for ten years from them, for five years from them, right? Like, when are we gonna see the results from it, right? You feel that tension, maybe, right? <laughs> My mom was in the front. Row. She said, amen. Unbelievable. Um, just kidding. So as we think about the, the tension, though, the, to, I think that's important for you and I, though, because he lived genuinely by faith. That's all he had was faith. And in this moment, it, we have this revelation for you and I that if you've taken notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Living by faith is doing what God says, even when we don't see the results. Living by faith... Is doing what God says, even when we don't see the results. I think that's the I think that's why Noah made this list. Because Noah continued to work for seventy five plus years of continuing to do what the Lord had asked him to do. And in this moment he had to continue to do it, even though he couldn't see the fruit of his labor yet. He couldn't see the results of what is happening. And I think there may be a season that you're in that I've been in before where you're just purely operating off of obedience. You're going, God told me to do this. I don't see any kind of results. I don't see any kind of action that is taking place. I don't even I'm not sure if I can even feel you moving in this place. But yet I know this is what God's called me to do. And remember, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who were being extremely persecuted. And they were probably getting all of this persecution and thrown in prison and ostracized by their family and all of these different things. And the writer of Hebrews is writing them going, hey, remember Noah? Remember Noah? The whole world was against him. The whole world was against God. And for 75 years, he continued to build. He continued to toil. He continued to go out into the hot sun and cut trees down and build this ark because the God warned him it was going to rain. And I think that is the place where God wants to get you and he wants to get me and our relationship with him. I think he wants to get us to a place where we operate by faith to where obedience, where we realize that obedience is the goal. Obedience is our goal. And then so much to the point where sometimes there are some seasons in our life when obedience is all that we have. I don't know if you've experienced that before. I I know I have experienced that before, where that's the literally the only you're not seeing any kind of fruit, any kind of results. But you know that this is what God's word says. You know that this is what he has asked you to do. And maybe even family members around you and other people and friends are going, you're crazy. Why are you living this way? That's you're not supposed to do that. Why are you raising your kids this way? All of these different things, right? Like everybody around us, maybe even, hey, their parents are not making them do this and they're not doing that. Right? And you feel the tension, but sometimes in some seasons, all we get is obedience. Right? And even though, and I think God wants us to get to the place where that's enough, right? Where obedience is enough. We're going to God. Just like what Jacob was saying, I'm building my house in Matthew chapter seven, because the thing that you and I have to wrestle with and as a pastor, I talk to people and uh, we talk about this idea of walking in obedience to God. And usually if somebody is strongly against it or not sure about it, uh, it takes a Matthew seven kind of moment to happen in our lives. Right. Because we can build our lives and a house may look good on the outside, If there's no rain, if there's no storm, right, there's no pressure, adversity or anything to push against the house. And it looks fine. But then when the rain comes and when the storm comes or an earthquake happens, right, I'm kind of speaking metaphorically here, when something happens that shakes our literal foundation of who we are, and we don't know which way is up, maybe lost a loved one or going through a hard time or lost a job or wrestling through some identity thing, all these different pieces, right? When it's wrestled and broken to the core of what we have, God is saying, Matthew chapter 7 teaches us, we build our life on the principles of Jesus that will withstand all of that. He gives us that promise that we can hold on and that it will withstand all the pressures of life that may come in that and in those moments. And so I come not only to that. You're like, great, I'm glad I came to church today to receive all of that, right? That all I get is obedience. But I think there's beauty in that. I think that's sometimes the reason why we wrestle with not having peace because we're wanting more. And God says, what I promised you Is peace, even if everything's not going right. And my peace sits and rests in that I have Jesus. Right. That I am saved and secure. I have a relationship with him. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He didn't promise. Right. The promise. I was supposed to say this at the end, but I'm too excited now. But the promise is not that it would be easy. The promise is victory. Right. The promise is not easy. It's that we will have victory. We will win in the end. He's saying if you it may take you 75 years to build your ark and you may not see any fruit from it. But yet the promise still reigns true. And he's saying we get to the place where it becomes such a core reality of who we are of going, God, I just I just want to be obedient to you. I don't know if you've been in that place before where you've been out of obedience to God. And you felt the way your soul felt. It felt heavy and you were still searching for more. I love the song Graves in the Gardens because it says I searched the world and it couldn't fill me. Right. I can remember those times as a teenager chasing down parties and alcohol and relationships and all of those things. And guess what? Every night when my head hit the pillow, I still felt empty because it couldn't fill me. The only thing that could fill that void was Jesus And that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we walk in obedience to the Lord, it fills us up to the point where we can be like Noah, out in the middle of the desert, chopping down gopher wood for this thing called rain that has never even happened before. Because the Lord said, hey Noah, I need you to do this. I need you to to trust me here in this moment. I need you to trust me here in this season to walk in obedience and get to the place where we love those moments And I want to encourage us here because Galatians 6, 9, we see this in the New Testament where it says, so let us not get tired of doing what is good. Remember, God defines what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if what? We don't give up. I love that verse, right? He's saying the promise is keep doing what is good. And at the right time when the Lord says the rain will come and the harvest of blessing will come. If we do not give up, if we trust and lean in obedience that God has for us, we see this begin to play out. And the thing, the title of this message is called waiting, right? Because waiting when we're waiting on something is incredibly difficult. So what do we do in the waiting? Do you know what Noah did? He was waiting on his family, right? He changed the whole dynamic of what the word of waiting is supposed to mean, right? He was waiting on the Lord, waiting on something to happen. And instead of just waiting on something to happen, there was work to be done, right? There were things for him to do. And he started waiting on his family. It says that he was going to bring salvation to his family only if he built this boat. Right. Only if he built the boat for the animals and for his family. But he says everything else is going to happen. But I'm going to work for my family. I'm going to serve my family. I'm going to wait on my family to get them ready for this moment. And even if the world is turning away, I love that verse at the end of Joshua. And he says, you know what? Everybody's turning away and I'm going to be the kind of leader that says, even if everybody turns away, as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord, right? And so it kind of brings this whole because we look out into the world and we're saying, that's too big. I can't do, I I can't change the world. But God says, look back at our family. Look at who God has given us responsibility for. And go, you know what? That's for me and my family. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to walk in obedience to him. We're going to walk in what he has called us to do. And we see this picture begin to play out because God gives us even in the waiting, that you and I can continue to wait. We can continue to wait on the people who are around us. We can continue to serve, right? There are things in the Bible, even in the seasons of waiting, that we, we don't even have to pray about. We, God has already said yes, right? God has called us to make disciples. He has called us to share the gospel. He has called us to serve. He has called us to reach out to the lost. He has called us to do all of these things. He's called us to help feed the hungry and and give water to drink and to help orphans and widows. Right? Like He's already said these are the things and these are things that you and I can do even in the season of waiting, where we can turn our waiting into waiting. Right? We can turn our waiting into serving. We can turn our those moments of what do I do here? I got too many questions and I don't have enough answers. But God says, hey, I can give you a little bit of clarity even in this season of waiting. And if we think about it, um, because it can seem kind of difficult. How do we maintain this? How did Noah maintain walking in obedience for 70 years? five years? How did he walk in obedience enough to where the whole world around him was turning from God and was so evil that God was like, I I, I can't even look on the earth anymore. It's so evil, so vile, so violent. I don't even know what to do. What caused Noah to continue the race? What caused him to keep moving forward for his entire life Awful warning, a word from the Lord. And we see the reason that they give us here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for saving his household. We see this picture that he had reverent fear of the Lord. That's was what his fuel was, is that he looked out into the world and it didn't say he feared this violent world, right? This this massively violent world. It didn't say he was scared of the world. So he hid his family. No, he says he was out. He was working. He did not fear the Lord. But what he feared was the Lord. Right. We see this over and over in Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 28. It says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and all for God is a devouring fire. Right. We see this principle and this truth of going the way that we can continue to live in obedience to God is through reverent fear. And as Christians, God is saying, I want you to fear me because if you fear me properly, You don't have to fear anyone else. You don't have to fear the world. You don't have to fear man. That's why we see scriptures in the New Testament saying, what can mere man do to me? Right. Like they they make and hurt my body, but God still holds my soul. He still holds my eternity. And we see that a reverent fear of the Lord is not this fear of as a Christian, it's not this fear of, oh, no. God's going to bring this judgment on me. Oh, no, I, I, like, I messed up. So I need to go hide like Adam and Eve going to run and go hide in the bushes. Right. Like I, I can't believe this. And God's going to be so mad at me. He's going to bring rain down all of this stuff onto me just because I messed up. But a holy reverent fear is this all of who God is, that he is a devouring fire. One of my favorite ways, I, I guess, to think about it, especially since we moved here to the low country, is, is when you walk out onto the beach You see this massive ocean, right? And it is so, it is beautiful. And I could sit on the beach all day, right? And just hear those waves come in. You talk about peace. That is so good. Y'all were like, hurry up, Dave. I'm trying to go to the beach. But like all of these things, right? Like you, you, you could just feel that. But when you go out into the ocean, I'm a 90s kid, so I grew up watching Jaws. So I don't go past like right here, okay? Like there's some Jaws out there. I'm not going. And so, but as you think about the ocean and how big it is, it's that reverent fear because the ocean can do what the ocean is going to do and I have no control over it. That current can take me. I'm the bottom of the food chain in a lot of places in the ocean, right? If I go out there, it's this, this almost this reverend of this thing is magnificent. It is beautiful. It all awe-inspiring, but it is also dangerous, and it is also too big for me, and this is also, like, I need to be careful here, right? It's the same in our relationship with God. He is beautiful. He is magnificent. He has come to save the world and take away the sins of humanity, but Yet he is holy. He is dangerous, right? He is a all-consuming fire. And we see over and over again in Scripture that we are to hold him in this holy high regard because of who he is, amen? We see this incredible truth because this reverent holy fear is what's going to keep you and I moving towards obedience, right? Because if I have this holy, my God is bigger than any person on this earth my God is bigger than anything that can happen on this earth right like he can handle all of that so my holy reverent fear is in his hands I don't have to fear all of this because my fear is wrapped up in who Jesus is and it's not a fear of condemnation no he has set me free I am a child of God and so now I just know him as a holy reverent God that I am to come and to worship and to give thanks to him I know he is fully capable of wiping out the entire earth if he wants to, but yet out of love and grace, it says he is patient, right? He is waiting. He has long suffering of wanting people to come to know him. He loves the world so much that he sent his one and only son not to sit up in heaven at the right hand of God and just bask in his holiness. No, but he came into the trenches, right? He moved into the neighborhood and took on the weight and sin of humanity and paid your debt and paid my debt. That's the holiness of God. That's the love that God has for you and I, that we get to rest in this truth. And as we think about uh, the story of Noah, because I think if we're honest, it's a a harder story to think about because that's what God does. He brings the rain and the entire earth is wiped clean. I mean, it's wiped out. Evil is wiped out. And we're sitting wrestling with this tension But I see this uh, correlation, this foreshadow almost of who Jesus is and what Jesus does for you and I. It says that uh, Noah constructs this ark and as his family and all of these animals, they get into the ark and they receive salvation from the flood. And Jesus wants you to know that Jesus has come and he is the new ark that if we place our faith and trust in him, we can walk into the family of God, into the ark of God, and we are protected because there. It's going to be a day when Jesus comes back again. Right. And we're going to stand in front of God and he ha- we have this moment of going, I can be here because of what Jesus has done for me. He has provided salvation for me. But I think that's kind of hard because uh, one, we, we live in a culture where it's almost unloving for me to say that. Right. Or, or, or it's believed that it's unloving for me to say that, that the Lord is coming back and he's going to judge everyone. Here on the earth. But I also think that one of the reasons why it's hard and considered that way because they've heard it through proclamation. You know, they've heard it through the Lord is going to come back and he's going to rain down fire on everybody and everybody, right? Like we've heard it that way. But I think if you and I are willing, because we know that everything is wrapped in what? Faith, hope, and love. That the truth of God is wrapped in faith, in hope, and in love. And that the gospel is good news right it's good news it's supposed to bring breath and life and so I brought my stool up here because I, I think if if you and I were to have this conversation what I would do is we would sit down and have a cup of coffee and I would want you to know if you didn't know Jesus I would sit I can't this kind of awkward here we go here we go here we go. I would sit you know and we would, we would have a conversation and for me if my kid 11 years old runs out these doors and starts sprinting towards 278. And there's cars going 80 miles an hour flying up and down that road. And I sat right here and go, "Ah, oh, he'll figure it out. He's got time." You know, look look how big that field is. He's got time to get all the way to the 278. He's going he's, somebody maybe else will probably tell him, right? You would look at me and probably call the police on me, right? And go, "He shouldn't be a father." He is so un Loving that he would not tell them that he would not warn his kid. Right. But yet I I would sit down and I would say for me as a loving pastor, I have to come. And just as Noah said, the rain is coming as a loving pastor. I have to say Jesus is coming back. And there was a moment where the ark door closes and it's too late. There's going to be a moment where Jesus comes back. And it's going to be too late. We're not promised tomorrow. And I and me and good conscious can't be your loving pastor and say you're going to stand before God one day. And I don't want you to look back and go, I sat in his church for years and he never told me about this judgment. Right. How unloving would that be for me, for my family, and for the people who operate around me in my life? But for me, I'm not coming at it as, a, as this fire down brimstone. It's, hey, God loves you so much. And he sent me to let you know he is coming back. And not only that, he's provided an ark. His name is Jesus. And you have a way. You can receive salvation. And it's by faith in Jesus. It is a free and undeserved gift from the loving Father. Right? And my my thing is, is a lot of times I hear people say, well, I got to get myself ready before I come to know the Lord. And I really think the only way to get ready is to come to the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit is going to show you the way he's going to help you in the way, because I don't know what kind of time you got or I have. So in loving conscience, I have to say the Lord is coming back. We don't know when. And at that point, it's going to be too late but we want you to know the loving grace of our savior and when you and I hear about 119,000 people in the low country who don't know Jesus. You know we have this same urgency. Right to go man. We need to show the love of Jesus. is free and undeserved. Right even though the rest of the world. May look at us and go man you're crazy. You still believe that ancient stuff. Or we're like it's going to rain. I'm telling you right. It's going to rain. And by that time it's going to be too late. But we want you to know about the saving grace. Of Jesus Christ. But I think God always wants it to be wrapped in love. And compassion and empathy, right? Faith, hope, and love. It is There is bad news, but Jesus says, oh, I'm giving you good news too. I'm provi- There is bad news, but I'm providing a way, right? And he's saying, I'm giving you this hopeful moment to trust in the Lord. Because in Genesis chapter 8, we see, okay, I'm gonna send it now. We see in Genesis chapter 8, where we see it come full circle, where the flood happens and The earth is almost reset and the the floodwaters start to recede. And God says, I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to put a bow in the air, this rainbow in the air, for you to look up as a reminder that I'm not going to flood the earth again. Right? And we haven't seen it happen yet. Why? Because God is faithful. His word is true. His promises are true. And if there is anything I will bank my life on, and that is read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. His promises are true and every word has come true. I mean, he has predicted and prophesied everything that has happened and all of it continues to come true. And so for you and I to live by faith is to believe that God's promises are true, that he is real, that one day he is coming back and he has given this good news to you and I. And he is saying, I have made a way and we could bank our promises on this hope that God will Give victory for those who believe in him. And so as we rest in that and have promises in that. And so I want to pray for us and ask God just to speak to our hearts here today as I wrap up. And we talk about this by faith series. I think that God wants to do something in us and through us that maybe our faith is strengthened today. That maybe we're in a season of waiting, but we know that God is growing us. That God is saying, hey, I want you to have the faith to go. You know what? Obedience is enough, God. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to follow and pursue you with everything that I have. And I would say maybe if you're in the room or listening to my voice online, you've never given your life to Christ before. And maybe for the first time somebody's telling you, you know what, Jesus is coming back and at that point it's too late, right? We're going to face the judgment seat of God and and God is saying, hey, I've provided a way. I want to give you an opportunity today to give your life to Jesus today to know one hundred and ten percent that in that moment we get to stand not on the good merits that we do, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Amen. And so I just want to give you that opportunity. So let's pray together as a church. If you've never asked God to save you before, I want to give you this moment here today and uh, just to give your life to him. And so you can repeat this prayer after me. And uh, there's no uh, it's kind of special moment in this prayer except for your heart posture, heart posture to God. So if you want to give your life to Jesus, just pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I know that I am separated from you. God, I know that I've missed the mark. God, I know that the Bible calls that sin. God, and I believe that your son Jesus came and died on the cross for me. I believe that three days later he rose again, God, and asked that you would save me. I believe that I need a savior. God, and ask that you would save me and change me here today. As everyone is still praying, if you prayed that prayer, just shoot your hand up real quick. Just shoot your hand up real quick. I see you. I see you. Just shoot your hand up real quick. I see you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for our church family. I pray that we walk in obedience to you, God. I pray that in the moments and seasons where it just feels so tough to be a Christian, God, I pray that you give us supernatural strength, God. I pray that we remember the names in Hebrews 11 like Noah who spent years of his life just chopping down gopher wood, God. God, I thank you for loving us so much that you provided a way for salvation. God, that you had the provision to have someone write these stories down. And thousands of years later, we see that your promises still reign true, God. God, I pray that we would be a city on a hill, that we would be salt and light to the low country, God, that you've called us to. I pray that if anybody walked into this place discouraged, God, I pray that your promises lift them up. God, I pray that your promises are what we build our life on. Because we have this hopeful expectation that this world is not our home. But your promises say that we will be with you forever, God. We are thankful. We love you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. If you raise your hand here today, what I want to say is welcome to the family. We love you. Yeah. If you did raise your hand today and want to give your life to Christ, I'd love for you to fill out a connect card or come see me. I'd love to pray with you, help you take any next steps that you would like. and uh, Because we believe you're not called to walk this world alone, but to say this is my life in Christ. This is my life in Him. So let's stand and continue to worship together. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.